focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our reporter Yu Sumin and from Arirang News, reporter Shin Sebyeok. Guys, welcome back. Hi, I am still getting used to that. From yeah. Arirang News, Shin Sebyeok. Yeah, I'm still getting used to that too. Uh, it's good to have you. For our listeners out there, uh, we do have a special collaboration with the Arirang News team downstairs. Uh, as uh, We do have uh, the reporters coming in. Uh, to uh, be a part of a Focus on Headline, which is why Sebyeok will be joining us uh, in the next month or so. In the meantime, uh, Sebyeok, uh, going into our first piece of story, some welcoming news for those that had a hard time breathing uh, because of all the masks that we had to be wearing during the two-plus years. We finally have the nationwide outdoor mask mandate lifted for the first time in 566 days. Now, this was officially put in place uh, October 13, 2020. Uh, it is indeed a huge step towards normalcy is what we're seeing. Right. So wearing facial masks outdoor is no longer mandatory as of Monday. So last week, the Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasures Headquarters decided to lift the requirement from Monday, citing the continued decline in infections. And the move comes 566 days after the government introduced the mask mandate in October 2020 and now leaves only a comprehensive mask wearing mandate indoors. And this means people are no longer required to wear masks in most outdoor situations including on hiking trails, at outdoor weddings, and at above-ground outdoor subway stations. And also students are expected to be back to almost full normalcy as they can take off their masks for P classes. But some might question where and what places exactly are deemed outdoors. And to make it simple, remember, if there is a roof and ceiling, it is indoors. But if the wall is open to more than two sides and that air circulating naturally, it can be considered outdoors uh it might be considered 566 days uh because it was a fish the mandate itself was put in place october 13 2020 yeah. but i mean we have to take into consideration that a lot of us were we were Already. wearing masks even yeah. before that so uh much longer but again uh we talked about exceptions being in place there are a few exceptions so do remind us of uh, what those are Although outdoor mask mandates have been lifted, health authorities still highly advise citizens to keep their masks under following circumstances. For example, people are still required to wear face masks when they attend assemblies involving 50 people or more. So it is recommended that masks still be worn at places like amusement parks or on a beach. Also, when you cannot secure enough space from others, and if you are in or at places when people tend to chant or shout, such as concert halls and sports arenas, wearing a mask is necessary. And masks are also recommended when it is difficult to apply physical distancing of more than one meter outdoors or when engaged in activities that incur dip, uh, droplets such as physical exercise or shouting. Uh, and the Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasures Headquarters and medical experts stress the need for masks to be worn by high-risk groups such as the elderly above the age of 60, those with COVID-19 symptoms, unvaccinated population, immune-deficient patients. And remember, although much of the mask mandate has been lifted, people will still have to wear masks indoors as well as on buses, subways, and taxis. And you are recommended to wear face masks that are KF80 or above. 
Yeah, it's a recommendation, and of course, uh, especially during the warmer seasons, uh, a lot of people do wear the KFADs, right? The anti-droplet uh, masks, which are much thinner. But it is a recommendation mm-hmm. that it is KFAD or above. Uh, we talked about how things are slowly, or I should say for some people, it's actually quickly uh, transitioning mm-hmm. into a new norm here. Uh, so schools, educational institutions gearing up for a return to daily lives. Wearing face masks won't be required, not just in the, some of those places, but you have like PE class. Classes, mm-hmm. uh, some sporting events as well, recreational classes. Yes. Tell us more about that, Sumin. Sure. So just like you said, most of the school operations, like students' attendance and activities, are back to normal in principle. And in line with the lifting of outdoor mask mandates nationwide, students will not will be allowed not to wear their face masks during outdoor recreational and sporting events in kindergartens or physical education classes in the elementary, middle, and high schools. Now, according to the Education Ministry, preschool, elementary, Entry and middle and high schools across the country will resume all extracurricular and curricular educational activities. So this means all these small-scale activities, which is called suengpyeongkai in Korean, or school field trips or retreats, can all be held. Outdoor mask mandate is not yet lifted when they go on a field trip, but that will also be lifted starting May 23rd with some discretions given to the school authorities depending on the risk of infections. Well, parents are quite divided over the easing of such regulations. Well, some parents welcome such freedom, but some express worries over the sudden alleviation of the regulations. Now, if you take a look at those who welcome such decisions, they said they're happy because children can get to know each other with each other's faces and they can communicate while seeing each other's uh, facial expressions because children hadn't gotten used to it during the COVID-19 pandemic and especially the kindergartners or the first and second grade elementary school students. While others say that they... Uh, they expect extra precautionary measures, especially in schools. Well, now that schools are back to stable normal operations, programs to help students make up for their learning deficits, like providing tutoring or after-school intensive classes, will being uh, are being arranged. And another aspect that might go unnoticed, but it should be prioritized, is especially crucial for students' well-being, is their emotional and mental support. Well, the Ministry of Education and the KDCA announced that the stress and depression level, uh, which are the indicators of teenagers' mental health, worsened year over year in 2021. So the Education Ministry decided to invest 20.5 billion won in students' psychological and emotional support for uh, to develop their social development programs to help them establish better relationship and better friendship. Yeah, and that was kind of uh, the big concern, right? Especially for like the younger students where you're learning to socialize for the first time and uh, you didn't really have much of that because of all the online classes and mm-hmm. so forth. And I was laughing about the, the whole masking and, uh, you know, getting to know each other because I was saying uh, before that for some of our guests, I still haven't seen their face just yet. Mm-hmm. And uh been working with them for months and months, uh, even downstairs, I think, with uh, some of the new reporters I had a chance to meet. I didn't know who they are, were because uh, they had their mask off. And I only recognized them from the mask above, uh, the eye and above. And so, again, these are little things that are sort of changing right now. But again, guys, it's, it's day one right now. I, I think a lot of us kind of sort of expected major changes uh, to be seen around the country. For myself, when I was driving around... Um, I actually saw the vast majority of people just having their mask on. I I really didn't see any difference Mm. uh, compared to, let's say, Sunday 
uh, before the me measures were lifted. And today when the measures are lifted, uh, what about you guys? I mean, do you guys feel any kind of difference uh, in, in how things are right now? or And also, is there a kind of a preference into whether or not you have your mask on or off at this time? Uh, let's uh, start off with you, Sebyeok. Well, I'm the one who took who took off the mask in the morning. But <laughs> what I noticed as soon as I stepped outdoor was that everyone except for me had their masks on, which was quite embarrassing. So I think people rather take precautious steps towards the lifting of outdoor mask mandates, whether they feel much safer in that way or kind of crowd mind. I don't know. I really didn't like the idea of wearing masks in the during the early days of the pandemic, but it has become our norm, right? So though a mask was not required at door, if you could have a two meter distance from others, whenever I saw people without masks, I couldn't help but think, what is wrong with this guy? Or is, is something off with him or her? So it's quite reasonable that people still think in that way, feeling rather weird to walk around with their face uncovered because we have had it on for well over two years. Plus, it's not wearing a mask. In reality, it's extra work because you have to put it in whenever you're going indoor, right? Mm -hmm. Or taking public transportation. So I think it would take some more time, I say, until weather gets really hot in the summer for people to finally take off their masks. But, you know, at least it's completely now up to us whether to wear it or not. So in a way, I feel much free. Yeah, I think the... the the short time that I felt freedom uh, is when I'm driving, I have my mask off, right? Mm -hmm. I'm by myself in the car, I have my mask off. And usually as soon as I park my car and I walk uh, to my, I guess, the entrance of my apartment, I put my mask on. And so I'm walking. Today, for the first time, mm -hmm. I have my mask off during that... 20 second walk from my car to the mm. entrance of my apartment and then of course I put my uh, mask back on because I'm, I'm indoors again and I could bump into yeah. whichever neighbors right but yeah I, I really didn't feel much different so what about you Sumin? You know, well, last week, uh, when there was this initial hype and buzz around the news that the government is going to lift the, you know, outdoor mask mandate, just the thought of not having to wear face masks outdoors really got me excited. I was really happy, super excited about it. But actually, earlier in the morning, when I was, you know, on my way to the gym, I saw 80 to 90 percent of the uh, people, like majority of the people, were putting their masks on, contrary to my initial assumptions or expectations. And quite surprisingly, I also found myself putting the mask on, contrary to what I thought I would be doing Wait, before. inside the gym, though? No, no, outside. Oh, okay. On my oh, way yeah. to the gym. I was about to say, to I was about to say, you have to have your mask on inside no, no, the gym. No, 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 on my way to the okay. gym, which is outdoors. Right, yeah, right, right. so, well, actually, I come to think of it, I thought, you know, there are several reasons behind it, both intentional and non-intentional, both conscious and subconscious. One, it's such a hassle not putting putting on the mask outdoors and putting it back on while you go inside. And two, I was pretty worried uh, that I might forget bringing the mask mm -hmm. <laughs> because I still have to put on, put on the face mask. And three, it has become a habit, you know. Uh, putting the mask on and not wearing makeup on my way to the gym, especially in the morning. It's much more convenient to put your mask on without your makeup. So I think a lot of girls would feel this way. And I saw some interviews that a lot of journalists and reporters conducted with people outside, and they had this similar sentiment feelings toward this lifting of the outdoor mask mandate. Well, they were awkward not to wear masks. They thought it was such a hassle putting it back on and they go indoors and they were especially wary about the current virus situation because still in the five-digit territory 
Well, my two cents about this lifting of mask, outdoor mask mandate nationwide is it has because it's become a new normal or habit or new outfit sort of new accessory that people have grown accustomed to these days. I think it's not going to go away in an instant. And just like Sebek said, when the temperature goes up and it becomes uh, when it becomes summer season, when the fine dust situation gets better, that habit would naturally disappear, I guess. And I spotted some young people wearing toxicu. It's only covering their uh, mouth, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not their nose. That might be one way because it's convenient to put it back on, you know. Yeah, but what's the point of having your mask on if like you're just going to cover your mouth? Outdoors. Yeah, well, I mean, just like take it off, right? Because what well, one thing I just still don't understand. You might lose it though. I mean, I I carry around this little strap. That yeah, you could just that's hang around. what I was going to say. Yeah. A lot of people will look for mask straps. Yeah, so I don't know the, what the conven- inconvenience is in, when it comes to just like putting your mask back on, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, you make a very good point with uh, why I think there are so many people still wearing masks. Because one, they're, they're kind of looking at how other people yeah. are, right? But also for me, some people ask... Number one, I think maybe things are a little bit different with both of you guys because you guys haven't had COVID just yet, right? No, nope, no. Uh, I have, and so I'm one of those people where it's like, well, I, you know, I have had COVID, and so it's okay. But the main reason why I actually still have my mask on right mm-hmm. now is because I, I think our listeners have saw, seen me, what happened to me last week when I had crazy allergies. Uh, flower pollen oh, in no. the air is just ridiculous. And so and fine I, dust. you find dust yeah. as well. So which is one of the reasons why also I have the mask on. But uh, for you guys who haven't had COVID, aren't you concerned that lifting of the measures will maybe kind of if you take off your mask and you're walking around that there is going to be a higher chance that you're going to eventually contract COVID-19? Aren't you guys concerned about that? Maybe subconsciously, that might be one of the reasons why I'm still wearing face masks outdoors. Not really. I'm not really concerned about it because I consider myself healthy. So um, (laughs) I I, I never know what's going to happen in the future, but there is going to be no quarantine. Two two, two week mandatory quarantine, it will just go away. Well, it's one week, but uh, I mean, that's that's still, I don't know. It's one week, but uh, that's that's still... But, you know, most of the social distancing regulations and a lot of virus prevention measures are lifted right now so what's the point in you know wearing face masks outdoors when you have when you keep the two meter distance i think it's safe enough well i mean that's just the thing is how do you you're not always having this two meter distance with people right and i I think the reason why also i saw so many people have their mask uh, outdoors because when i was going home after my uh you know morning news i passed by sadang station Mm -hmm. which is like you know that's like the mecca of uh, you know transfers, transfers right? Yeah. And so like a lot of people are kind of walk, uh, you know, waiting outside to cross the the crosswalk. And so because there are so so many people around, they're wearing the mask. But uh, the thing with I think the quarantine, that's one of those things where I think they're still considering uh, for the longest time. But you were saying right. you were healthy. Uh, <laughs> but you know, one thing that is going to be lifted soon is the fact that even. Uh, if you get COVID, you are not going to get uh, the government, uh, I guess, uh, you know, financial support comes out of your own pocket. And that one week quarantine, you have to use your sick days. for that. So. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I have talked about it before, but I am I was really concerned about getting infected with COVID-19 because I there I just was concerned about all those social impacts that it's going to yeah. bring to my office, my coworkers, yeah, etc. But as long as there's going to be no quarantine measures, not like quarantine the, the one week mandatory quarantine, I am not really concerned about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, I <laughs> to mean, be honest. yeah, yeah. No, no. Honestly, is good because I think the way that we see COVID nineteen has uh, vastly changed. But I think the one thing that shouldn't change, in my opinion, is that uh, COVID nineteen is still very dangerous for the elderly population. And so, despite the fact that there's uh, some easing of these measures, I think they should be in place. Um, and I do see a lot of uh, the elderly people still having their mask on, even on their walks and things like that. So it is good to see that. We'll have to see how things go. I think the biggest thing is not the outdoor mask mandate being lifted, but if there is eventually the indoor mask mandates being lifted, and then all of a sudden Subin has her mask off and Sebyeok has her mask off uh, inside the studio, I think that's when things are going to change yeah. uh, a bit. But uh, before we do move on to our next topic, uh, Sebyeok, let's get the latest updates on the COVID-19 situations because we do have uh, really low numbers comparatively, but it is a Monday, though. All right, so new COVID-19 cases continue to decline and fall to the 20,000 amid the continued recession of the Omicron wave. The Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency said on Monday that 20,084 cases were compiled throughout the previous day, including 26 overseas infections. So the daily tally dropped by some 17,000 from a day ago to remain below 100,000 for the 12th consecutive day. So the figure posted in the 20,000 for the first time in 87 days since February 4th, when March 27,435, and the figure is the lowest in 90 days since the 1st of February. The number of COVID-19 patients in critical care also dropped by 32 to 461, staying in the 400 for the third consecutive day. And Sunday saw 83 deaths from the virus, up two from a day ago, and the death toll came to 22,958, with the fatality rate standing at 0.13%. Although Though much of COVID-19 quarantine measures has been eased, vaccines are still important. As of midnight Sunday, 86.8% of the population had been vaccinated with the first two shots, and over 64% of the population had received their third jab. Yeah, I had a chance to uh, talk to an epidemiologist uh, earlier today, and uh, he was saying that the, the second booster shots for the older population, it is coming out to be very uh, effective, effective uh, for them. So I think it is still important. But again, the bigger question is once these new sub-variants and the, the recombinant variants are coming up. And if there is another uh, variant coming up, you know, is there going to be a new vaccine that's going to be developed uh, quick enough uh, to able to counter that? And so, you know, the big consensus is that, you know, we might have to get vaccinated almost, I mean, every four Easily, months, is, yeah, three to six, yeah, every three to six months is what they're saying is, is a possibility. But, uh, I mean, we'll see what happens, right? Uh, we're going to move on to some domestic politics uh, this time. Senior secretaries who will be suffering under the uh, president like Yoon sung yeol were revealed on Sunday. Let's kind of get a uh, rundown of the members here, Sumin. Yeah, so on mon- uh, Sunday, President-elect Yoon sung yeol picked Kim Sung-han, a former vice foreign minister and his longtime foreign policy mentor, as his national security advisor. Well, Kim Sung-han currently leads the foreign affairs and security branch of the Presidential Transition Committee and has reportedly played a leading role in designing Yoon's foreign and security policy by seeking to bolster the South Korea-U.S.'s comprehensive strategic alliance. Along with him, named all five senior presidential secretaries and other members of the presidential office. So let me walk you through some of the senior members. So Kim Tae-hyo, who served as presidential secretary on national security strategy between 2008 to 2012, was tapped for first deputy national security advisor, while Shin Yino, former presidential risk management official, was named 
resigned as second deputy national security adviser. Well, former lawmaker Lee Jin-bok was named as senior political secretary, while former lawmaker Kang Sing-gyu was picked for senior civil social society secretary. Well, Choi Young-bum, a former journalist and current vice president at the Hyosung Group, was named as senior communications secretary, and former vice finance minister Choi Sang-mo was chosen for senior economic secretary. Well, Yun also picked An Sang-hoon, a professor of social welfare at Seoul National University for senior social secretary, and Kim Yong-hyun, former operations director at the Joint Chief of Staff as head of the Presidential Security Service. Well, Kang In-sun, a former journalist at the Joseon Ilbo newspaper, will serve as the spokesperson of the presidential office. Well, some of the characteristics that stands out in his picks is the number of senior secretary has decreased to five from the current eight. Well, that's because President-elect Yoon Sung-yeol pledged to downsize and streamline the presidential office. And as the incoming unit administration is basically doing away with the separate office for policy, there will just be two offices, one for national security and the other for the presidential secretaries. And because it's also removing senior sec- uh, secretary posts for civil affairs, employment, and personal affairs, uh, the number of secretaries has been cut down from the current eight, uh, from the current eight to five. Uh, let's kind of uh, take a look at the characteristics of the incoming unit administration's uh, presidential office because initially, uh, when we saw the cabinet members, it was uh, uh, interesting pick for the cabinets, uh, you know, 50s and 60s, uh, Seoul yeah. National University graduates. Uh, but uh, what about uh, the new group of people here? Yeah, so we talked about the cabinet picks in depth, right? Remember the you know president-elect Jun Sung-yeol has appointed people he had previously worked with, or people who have maintained who he have maintained close relationships for decades. Yeah, and that largely applies to some of the members of the presidential office because quite a great proportion of the members are from the presidential camp, Yoon's presidential camp, and also the presidential transition committee. Well, if you take a closer look at that. Eight out of the ten candidates of the members of the presidential office had previously worked for the camp or the transition committee. Namely, all members of the presidential transition committee were selected as secretaries for the security office. Kim Sung-han, the national security advisor nominee, and Kim Tae-ho, Shin In-ho, the first and second deputy directors for the security office, have all been working for the presidential transition committee. The only nominees not directly associated with the presidential camp and the transition committee are Lee Jin-bok and Choi Young-bum. Now again, we could see some similar profiles to Yoon's picks for cabinet members. Well, three of them went to Seoul National University. Six has PhD degrees, including Kim Dae-gi, the presidential chief of staff nominee, two passed the government exam. So this is the reason why some of the analysts are saying that the Yoon administration have basically deployed people from elite backgrounds on the very front. Well, all of them were in their 50s to 60s, and the majority of them were Seoul-born, and none of them are from the Honam region, the Jeolladu region, and people in their 20s to 30s were not included. Well, another interesting feature that were uh, brought to the media's attention was that many had the links to the former Lee Myung-bak government. Well, four out of ten people had a history of consulting, uh, with uh, consulting, uh, providing consulting to the uh, former Lee Myung-bak government, or having played a role in the 17th Presidential Transition Committee. Well, Kim Sung-han formerly served as the Foreign Affairs and Security Advisor to the MB administration, while Kim Tae-ho, the first Deputy Director 
director of the security office, also served as a foreign strategy planning officer at the MB administration. Well, some say that given Kwon Song-dong, the floor leader of the People Power Party, and Chang Jae-won, the chief of staff of the president-elect, who are, you know, classified as Yoon's closest political aides, are regarded as the old MB lineage. So their recommendations or words could have played a part in the selection process. We are also hearing similar voices of criticisms or remarks toward the selection because there's only one woman and uh, there are no younger generation uh, in their 20s and 30s. Well, previously, we do know that the Yoon's cabinet selection was under criticism because majority of the cabinet members, uh, like as you had said, went to Seoul National University, and most of them are in their 60s, and they were from the Yongnam region, hence pointing to the lack of diversity in the list of nominees. I'm guessing, uh, assuming you were in the uh, the shortlist, uh, being from uh, Seoul National <laughs> University, but uh, you didn't make the cut because you're in your 20s and 30s. Oh my goodness! Uh, so that was, and and you're a female, and maybe that was one no. of the reasons. No, but you know, again, uh, you know, some people might be saying, well, why aren't any of them in the Honam region? But again, we talked about how the Honam region being traditionally a very, uh, you know, liberal. Uh, region, So it's really hard to kind of get uh, some of the people from that area. But uh, yeah, it was one of the pledges uh, by Yoon sung Yeol that he is going to put in more people in their 20s and 30s. Uh, but uh, I, he did mention at the same time that it is going to be in the beginning uh, when he needs to set up, the, I guess, the, the cabinet, set up the team, that they're going to use people uh, who have, you know, vast experience first. And, then, you know, these members, they, they change over time, right? Yeah, and so maybe that's do. when uh, they're going to transition into people in their 20s and 30s. But, yeah, a lot of attention on uh, who he is picking here. But there seems to be uh, certainly an underlying, uh, you know, trend in a certain group of people that he likes to choose here. But nevertheless, hectic days are ahead in the National Assembly as there will be a series of confirmation hearings uh, in the next few days. First, there is, uh, well, I mean, there's the total of uh, six hearings for the Prime Minister nominee Han Dok Su, uh, five other minister picks uh, for Monday as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about this, Hebyak. The confirmation hearing for President-elect Yoon Sung-yeol's Prime Minister nominee Han Dok-su has resumed today and will last for the next two days. And five other hearings slated for today include one for foreign, land, culture and environment minister nominees. And initially, uh, the one for Prime Minister nominee Han Dok-su began last week but failed to proceed after the Democratic Party and the minor progressive Justice Party boycott Han Dok-su's hearing, claiming he failed to submit essential information. So Han, who has already served as Prime Minister and Finance Minister among other government posts, was originally expected to get approval from the cabinet relatively easily, but he has come under fire for several allegations in regards to conflicts of interest, including one where he received hefty salaries as an advisor at a law firm after he had retired from public service. And um, here are some of remarks made during today's hearings from the t- nominees. The Prime Minister nominee Han said that stabilizing the economy for ordinary people's livelihoods will be his top priority, and he will use every policy measure possible to achieve
achieve that goal once he gets the country's number two job. Uh, Finance Minister nominee Chu Gyeongho said taxes on financial investment gains should be suspended. And Foreign Minister nominee Park Jin said the incoming South Korean government's new diplomatic stance will to become a country that is pivotal to contributing to freedom, peace, and prosperity in the region. We still have more confirmation hearings to come. Uh, give us our listeners a uh, heads up. Uh, tell us who will face some questions. I'm sure there are going to be uh, pretty heavy questions coming from lawmakers in the coming days. Uh, so on Tuesday, four nominees are set to face questions from lawmakers. Among them is Health Minister nominee Tong Ho-young, who has been hit by snowballing allegations that he used his influence to exaggerate his children's academic achievements. And on Wednesday, hearings will be held in Justice Minister nominee Han Dong-hoon and three others. Education Minister nominee Kim In-chul will stand for a hearing on Friday. And Han and Kim are also candidates for the DPK has been grilling. And the other hearings will follow in the next few days, including on May 6th, with hearings for Gender Minister nominee Kim Hyun-suk and Agriculture Minister nominee Chung Hwang-gun. And the next two weeks bring a series of hearings for other positions in Yoon's first cabinet. So in South Korea, the position of prime minister is the only cabinet position that requires parliamentary approval. Yeah, which is why, I mean, we mentioned this before, Hyun-suk having, you know, played a role in both the progressive and the conservative parties in the past, uh, you know, you want to get as much bipartisan support as possible, but certainly uh, not looking like that so far. And that is going to be interesting with these uh, confirmation hearings. Uh, the highly contentious bills aimed at reforming the prosecution. I mean, this has been uh, one of the major topic of discussion mm. uh, over the past week or so. The first of the two controversial bills, uh, they were passed on Saturday, uh, despite strong opposition from the People Power Party. Uh, tell us more about where we exactly stand at this uh, particular bill. Yeah, it's so despite this fierce opposition, the two sides failed to find a middle ground and hence the ruling Democratic Party, which holds a majority in the parliament, managed to pass a partial revision to the Prosecutor's Office Act. Well, the bill basically seeks to separate the prosecutor's power, prosecution's power to investigate from the power to indict by gradually eliminating the investigative powers of the prosecution. So this revision essentially limits the prosecution's investigative powers to only two crime times corruption and economic crimes from the current six before removing them completely. Well, the PPP, of course, tried to block the bill with a filibuster when it was originally submitted on Wednesday last week. And in theory, that debate could go on indefinitely. But the DP passed a motion ending the April session the same day, which effectively forced the filibuster to stop at midnight. Well, the DP was then able to open another provisional session on Saturday, and they managed to pass the bill immediately since the same bill cannot be filibustered more than once. Well, now that the first bill has been passed, the second one was immediately submitted to the plenary session. Well, this one mainly prohibits prosecutors from using evidence from one case to acquire testimony from witnesses witnesses in other cases. So together with the first bill, it ultimately shrinks the prosecution's investigative power. Well, the DP's plan is to put the bill to a final vote on May 3rd and then 
and ultimately pass it. And under that scenario, both bills could be signed by President Moon Jae-in the same day in a cabinet meeting and take effect after a four-month grace period. But still, disputes, controversies over the reform will likely continue because neither bill includes the proposed setting up of a new investigative body to take over prosecution's investigative functions. The PPP has been calling on President Moon Jae-in to veto the bill, and PPP lawmakers still plan to take turns to continue to protest until President Moon Jae-in accepts their calls to meet and veto the bills. And the PPP also proposed holding a national referendum on the matter as a whole. Yeah, you know, I, I, I highly doubt President Moon is going to uh, veto the bill. I mean, this was uh, something that he's been calling for from the very start of his uh, administration five years ago, right? But uh, it is highly contentious. Uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, we're going to move on to some South Korea-China relations news this time. China's top nuclear envoy, he's in Seoul for talks with his South Korean counterpart amid the lingering tensions on the peninsula. Tell us more about this, Sebyo. So Liu Xiaoming, special representative from Korean Peninsula Affairs, arrived in Seoul on Sunday. Upon his arrival, Liu Xiaoming told reporters that he will meet officials from both the incumbent and incoming Korean governments to discuss, quote-unquote, political solutions for Korean Peninsula issues. So touching on pending issues related to North Korea, the envoy said that said uh, it's up to the U.S. and North Korea to resolve issues on the Korean Peninsula, not China. And asked about his stance about the North nuclear threats, he said, although Beijing is in support of denuclearization of the peninsula, he believes each country's security should also be taken into consideration and voiced China's hope for finding ways to lower tensions in Korean Peninsula issues through consultations with the South. Uh, well, he will kick off a string of meetings with um, No Gyudok, Special represent- Representative for Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs, on Tuesday to share their assessments on the recent grave security situation in the peninsula and discuss ways to cooperate for the stable management of the situation. And he is also expected to meet with senior officials from the Foreign Affairs and Unification Ministers, as well as the National Security Council. Let's go to uh, the ongoing Ukraine-Russia conflicts. Evacuation of Ukrainian civilians from the besieged city of uh, Mariupol. This began. Uh, they will arrive in the Ukrainian-controlled city of uh, Zaporozhye on uh, Monday local time. Now, tell us about the situation there and the latest progress, uh, Sumin. Yeah, so a widely anticipated, long-awaited evacuations of Ukrainian civilians hiding in steel plant in Mariupol has been finally underway. The International Committee on the Red Cross and the Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky said on Sunday that the operation to bring people out of the sprawling Azovstal steel plant was being done by the ICRC, the International Committee on the Red Cross, and the United Nations, and also in coordination with Ukrainian and Russian officials. An estimated 100,000 people still remain in the city, and officials have said that hundreds of people, well, dozens of the, dozens of whom are injured, are thought to be inside the complex, and including up to 1,000 civilians who are hunkered down with an estimated 2,000 Ukrainian fighters beneath the steel plant. Well, President, President Zelensky said that more than 100 civilians have been evacuated, including women, children, and pets. Well, more details were not disclosed because that could jeopardize the safety of the civilians and the convoy. But recent reports said that evacuation efforts have been paused until Monday local time, and that would recommence at 8 a.m. local time as well. 
Well, earlier Sunday, the Mariupol City Council had urged civilians to gather near a shopping center as there was a chance of an evacuation corridor to Zaporizhia from the besieged city. Well, that city is about 141 miles northwest of Mariupol, and that is exactly the destination of the evacuation effort. Well, President Zelensky tweeted that he planned to visit the city on Monday local time to greet the evacuees. And when they do safely arrive in the Ukrainian-controlled city, they will receive immediate humanitarian support, including psychological services. Now, uh, South Korean embassy officials had to relocate their office from Kiev to Chenevitsi uh, 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 back in March due to uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now, they're set to resume their operations in Kiev as well. So let's get more details on this, uh, Sebyak. All right. So Seoul's foreign ministry said South Korea's top envoy to Ukraine and some other embassy staff have returned to Kiev to restart operations there. Uh, South Korean embassy officials had evacuated from the capital and worked at a temporary office in the western Ukrainian city of Chenovisi yeah. since March following Russia's invasion of the country. And South Korea is now among the more than 20 embassies, including those of the European Union, France, Italy, and the Netherlands that have so far returned to the capital city. Ambassador Kim Yong-tae and some embassy staff have returned to Kyiv in preparation for work there starting Monday, Ukraine time. The ministry said it is considering the phased return of the remaining staff in accordance with the future security situation there, adding they plan to carry out tasks on diplomatic affairs and protecting South Korean nationals under closer cooperation with the Ukrainian government. And other embassy officials are currently stationed in Chenovisi and another temporary office in Romania. All right, guys, as always, thank you very much for your reports and your insights on some of these issues. Uh, Stay safe and we'll see you guys again. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.